Thank you, Sue, and thank you, kids. And if there's some big kids you want to make a, a crunkly tree, you can. I love Sue's vocabulary. It always teaches me new things. Um, the man who wrote The Giving Tree, Shel Silverstein, uh, he's actually a Jewish man, uh, and he wrote The Giving Tree after being challenged by another author. Uh, the author was a Christ follower. His name was Brennan Manning. He wrote The Ragamuffin Gospel. And Brennan Manning challenged Shel Silverstein to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospel accounts. And after he read them, the giving tree was his response. And as you think about that, I am amazed that from his reading and response to the gospels, that Silverstein was able to tap into one of the main overarching themes of the many books of the Bible, that God sacrificially loves us. God sacrificially loves us, and he is in pursuit of us. Why is he in pursuit of us? Because he simply wants us. That is a strange thing for some of us who maybe kind of grew up in a more religious kind of atmosphere. God wants us. God made us for relationship with him. And when God the Son came in the flesh, it was made abundantly clear that's exactly what God wanted. And today, I want to make the claim that Jesus is the greatest friend that you got or the greatest friend that you could ever have. And so I want to tell you just a little bit of how that's true. And so we're going to do a little scan here of the whole story of God. But uh, one, one thing, just a thought here, you know, there is something that we say a lot every time when we begin uh, a gathering here at Highland, we say what our mission is. And our mission is changing life as we know it through the what? Love, loyalty, and friendship, and friendship of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes people, when, when they hear friendship of Jesus Christ, they go, can you really say that? I mean, that kind of sounds blasphemous. I mean, friendship with God? I don't know. This might be a kind of a squirrely kind of church. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, today, I, I just want to say, and I want to show you from the Scriptures, that this is what has been God's intent from the very beginning. All right? So... Just think about what, what are the characteristics of this relationship that God desires with us. And, and also think, how did Jesus come to clarify this, right? So let, let's start at the beginning. Actually, not the beginning. Let's start before the beginning. Before the beginning, before there was anything, when there was nothing, when there's nothing in existence except for God, there was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was relationship in the beginning. And so as God spoke everything into existence, there at the center of the universe was relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in existing eternally in perfect fellowship. We say fellowship. What in the world is fellowship? It's another way for saying friendship, isn't it? it we, we just, we, we churchify everything and, and, and then we... And we moved, actually it was a word that meant something to people way back when, but we don't know what that word means anymore. So I'm just translating it for you. Friendship. Existed in eternal 
friendship. So now at the beginning, God, God made us. He made us not out of any kind of need, but merely for sheer delight and for glory. And in the beginning, Jesus was there, according to the disciple John. Jesus was there creating. The, the Spirit was also there, Genesis 1, 2 says, hovering over the waters. Father, Son, and Spirit, creating everything. And by Him and for Him all things were made, including people. He was known as creator and maker, and he made a suitable place for Adam and Eve, provided what they needed, gave them a mission to tend the garden, to steward the earth. And so we see a relationship that's between creator and created, created and the creature. And and maybe that kind of sounds distant, but, but take a closer look, zoom in to Genesis, and you see this account where God comes to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And he converses with Adam and Eve, the people that he made. And we see something more than just a creator and creature relationship. That's something that wasn't done with any of the rest of creation, none of the animals or the things that were made. God originally made us to enjoy life with him. What were they doing when they were walking in the garden? Enjoying what was made, enjoying life together. All right, fast forward to the fall. Adam and Eve, they choose to reject God's blessing and his rule, and then they hide from God. And everything that was perfect is now ruined. What was good has been twisted into something not good. And really, that's kind of what evil is, isn't it? Because everything that was made in the beginning was good, but then something got twisted and it was made evil. Evil is just twisted good. Good that is ruined. What was the good that was twisted? Well, there was a villain named Satan, the adversary who was behind this twisting and tempting. And the adversary in a serpent's disguise brought what we call today sin, the ruining of good, the rejection of relationship with God. Sin ruins relationship. It's the same today with us in in relationships with people that we know. When somebody hurts someone else, when someone says something or does something that is wrong or hurtful, a sin, it ruins the relationship, doesn't it? So the relationship with God is ruined. And this sin causes Adam and Eve to be expelled from the garden because God cannot keep in relationship with them. There's everything that was perfect, work, the purpose, the harmony, It's all in disarray. It's in dissonance. And sin is now passed on to Adam and Eve's descendants. It's a barrier to relationship with God. Communication with him from that point forward is now difficult. And and God cannot walk with them. But God promises that this one day will change. One day this will change. It will not be in this ruined state. One day we'll be able to walk with him again. And God promises this, and he promises to send a descendant whom I call the serpent crusher. And if you love snakes, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's more pointed towards the adversary who's, whom he, he's going to crush. But he's going to send the serpent crusher, one who will come through Adam and Eve, a descendant of, them, of theirs. 
So fast forward eight generations, and there's a flood, Tower of Babel. Another 12 generations, and there's a man named Abraham that appears on the scene. And God initiates his plan to form the family from whom he's going to bring the serpent crusher. The plan starts with a relationship with Abraham, telling him that he will be given many descendants, a promise that he will be blessed so that he can bless others. And Abraham receives the promise. He says, I, I believe that. And it seems like a simple relationship between a king and a servant. You know, God, here's Abraham. And it seems like, you know, hey, here's what I'm going to do for you. Uh, why don't you follow this, these instructions and everything's going to work out and I'll reward you. That's what it seems like, a king and servant kind of relationship. But you zoom in on it. Zoom in on that relationship and it's a little different from other relationships in the past. You zoom in and you see that there's something introduced It's called trust, what the Bible calls faith. The Lord made a promise, but the promise isn't fulfilled immediately. And so Abraham has to trust the Lord, following his instructions with trust and great faith. This belief and trust is then counted as something valuable to God. God sees it as precious. And so God calls Abraham friend. first time we see that so everything changes from this point forward in the story of God as the Lord establishes how he's going to have relationship with people in the future relationship with people who are separated by him from him by sin God establishes faith a trusting belief as the means to relationship with him and he defines that relationship as friendship Right? Because he called Abraham, God calls Abraham, friend. So another 50 generations pass. The descendants of Abraham who are supposed to be the examples of this new way that the Lord wants to establish, reestablish relationship. And, And the descendants of Abraham can't figure it out very well. They struggle with it. They struggle with trust. They struggle with faith. And, and, uh, and, and maybe some of us here can relate. Now, not all of them totally rejected the idea of this trust-faith relationship. In fact, many of the stories of the people in the Old Testament are those who trusted and had faith. And you can read those stories and find out how they trusted in this new relationship. But many are still caught up in the way that the world thinks about God and religion. You know, the way they think of it, and and people still think of it this way today. I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and maybe God will accept me. Instead of, God accepts me in Christ, therefore I delight to follow in Him. I'm already accepted. And and so there's this contrast, because the world has this twisted view. Twisted view of, I do, I do, I do. And maybe God will accept me. It's a twisted concept. It's a twisting of faith into religion. And it's work of the adversary to confuse. So God, working his plan, he conceived before the beginning, sends the serpent crusher, a descendant of Adam and Eve. The serpent crusher comes to end the distorted twisting and clarify the relationship that God really desires with each one of us. The only surprise is that the serpent crusher 
is God himself. He gives himself the name Jesus, which was a message in itself. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Son of God, comes to save us from the distortion, from the twisting of good, save us from the barrier to relationship with God. Jesus the Son goes on to tell people what God the Father is really like, and he is unlike anything they've heard of. They're they're amazed at the things that Jesus and how Jesus describes God the Father. Jesus says that he's like a shepherd looking after a lost sheep. He'll leave the 99, go after the one. Jesus says that the father is like a woman looking after a lost coin. And once once she finds it, she throws a party. And, And he says that God the father is like a dad who welcomes home a lost and disobedient child and throws a great celebration and welcomes him with a hug and a kiss. In fact, Jesus tells everyone that when they try to communicate with God, that they should call him father, heavenly father. And And there's one point where Jesus even says, Abba, call him Dada, which Abba in Aramaic is what a child would say to their father. Jesus describes a relationship with God that is like a a relationship with a merciful father with his child. Again, a relationship made from trust, faith, but also in love. So Jesus, you know, everyone's kind of, wondering about this. I mean, this is stuff they've never heard before. It's kind of out there. But Jesus backs up his message and what he's saying. He backs it up by his power. You see, he heals people. He does miraculous things, showing power over nature, walking on water, causing a, a storm to stop by just speaking to it. He has power over the health of people's bodies, He can speak or just touch someone and disease, fatal disease or disease that is incurable is is cured and and they're made well. He has power over spiritual forces. He's able to speak and demons flee. And then when Jesus asks his followers, who do you say I am? Peter responds, you are the Messiah, serpent crusher, the son of God. And the others agree, agree, he is the Savior, and they are the ones in need of saving. But Jesus clarifies the relationship more than Savior and saved. Because he's not just saving us from sin, but he's saving us for something. Not saving us just from something, but for something. And at a special dinner, Jesus shares with his closest followers, the 12 disciples, he says this, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He revealed that he and the Father are one. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And Jesus then says to them, If you love me, you'll follow me. And my Father will love you, and we will come and make our home with you. Isn't that sound like family? Isn't that what a family does? You have a home together and you love one another? Jesus is bringing this relationship to a family level now. He says, I I saved you. And I saved you for this, this kind of relationship, this kind of family, this kind of love. But I know that some of you here, you have family, and you may not exactly like some of your family. You maybe didn't even choose your family members, did you? In fact, none of us got to choose our family members, did we? No, we didn't. 
And, and so some of us are born into families, and we love them, and we love them, but sometimes we may not like them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jesus goes to another level, even beyond family, because the one place where we do choose relationship, we choose with friends, don't we? Jesus says this, and, and, and I know in some families, you know, you might kind of wonder, am, am, I just, am I just the maid? Am I just the butler around here? And especially the youngest in the family, right? Because, I mean, the youngest in the family, hey, go run and get the TV remote. Hey, go run upstairs and get this. I forgot it. Hey, go get that. Go get this. That, that's what the youngest does in the family, right? Yeah. So you might sometimes feel like a servant. But Jesus says this about this new relationship. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. Jesus reveals that friendship is the level of this relationship that God wants. A friendship that is based on knowing him. Now, knowing him is a tricky thing today, isn't it? Like, how do I do that with someone I can't see? But Jesus has revealed to you and to me everything that the Father told him. Now, we live in the information age. We, we hear so much, we see so much, we, we receive so much input. And one of the things that we know from that is there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, isn't there? I mean, I can say I know information about President Obama, and I can say I know these facts about him, but I don't say, yeah, I know him. Yeah, like we, we go out and get a beer together. No, it's, it's not, not like that. See, there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone, isn't there? And that, that's kind of the difference that Jesus is saying. I don't want you just to know some information about me. I want you to know me as a friend. And what gets sometimes twisted is that the way that we learn about our friend is through the Word of God. And sometimes people turn what is a relationship into rule upon rule, list upon list. Yes, there is a new way of living. Jesus calls us to that. But first, there is a relationship. And the relationship is primary. This divine relationship is based on trust, a knowing that the Bible calls faith. And Jesus wants to call those who trust him friend. And I want to tell you and tell those of you who haven't yet trusted him what a friend you could have. What a friend you could have. And for those of you who are already trusting him, I want to tell you, man, what a friend you already do have in Jesus. And maybe, maybe... We should pay more attention to this relationship that we have. Right, let, let me just tell you a little about him and how wonderful and great he is. I mean, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of him. Again, when Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father, that's the truth. When you look at him, you see him. You don't have to have any doubts or questions about it. God desires you as a friend. And that kind of friend, well, if Jesus is God, then he is ever-present. And he will never leave you. Look, I, I married my best friend, my wife, Sherry. But there are times that we're not together. I go to work. She's working. We're doing different things. But you know what? There's a friend who's closer even than my wife who can be with me wherever I go. 
And Jesus is an ever-present friend. And the thing about when he is present, he's fully present. He's not like some folks daydreaming or communicating on a phone while someone is standing right there in front of you. You know, he's the kind of friend who also always understands you. I mean, because he's all-knowing, right? To some, that might be a little frightening. You mean he knows everything about me? And that might be frightening to those who are still under religion. But for those who know God accepts me, therefore I delight to follow him. It is a relief. It's a relief to know that he knows everything about me, the worst of me and the best of me, and he accepts me. That's beautiful and wonderful. Jesus is also all-powerful if he is God, as he claimed. And that is a great friend to have when it seems like everything is swirling out of control. Because he is the one who is in control of everything. He's the all-powerful Jesus. You know, one of the amazing things about the friend that we can have in Jesus is that he is faithful. You know, all those things about being ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, that isn't just a switched-on, switched-off, now I'm here for you. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't say your prayers today, so I'm not going to be present for you. Oh, you didn't, you didn't, um, you didn't go to church on this Sunday, so I'm not going to be present in your life. Sorry. No, it isn't like that. He is ever present. He's always faithful in being present. He's always faithful in the things that he is. He isn't a fair-weather friend, only a friend when it's convenient to him. He's solid. He doesn't flip back and forth on, this, on his thoughts towards you. He is unchanging. His promise is always good, and he will never go back on it. He hears us. He hears every sigh, every silent tear, every thought directed towards him. He hears. He listens. He understands. And he's also truthful. He tells the truth like a true friend. I was talking with uh, Jason, our pastor over at the Gray Eagle, and he was talking about a friend who posted something on Facebook, said that he was kind of giving up everything, selling stuff, and he's going to pursue uh, a life of a musician. And uh, the only problem was is that this guy had no talent. And, uh, and, and so all the friends were going, you go, dream on, man, chase your dreams, be true colors, all that kind of stuff. And, and then there was one friend who said, hey, I'd love to get together with you and, and talk about this and see what, what other options you might have in life. <laughs> and, and then all the responses after that was, don't be a hater, man. Don't, don't be crushing people's dreams. And it's like, what about truth? Will a true friend tell you what's what? Well, sometimes the truth may be hard, but Jesus won't break us with it. But he also won't baby us when he knows we need to take a step to grow or change. He isn't fooled by our games. And even though we might play emotional games or mind games with others, he cuts through all the junk, through all the garbage, and says, stop it. You don't need to do that. Stop being insecure. I love you. And he loves us with all our weaknesses, all our strengths. In all our ups and downs, he loves us. He is a friend who knows how to comfort us, to settle us when we're unsettled, to assure us when we're unsure. He encourages us and he speaks to us by his spirit what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. He's a friend who gives us reality checks. He's zealous for us. He wants the best for us. The interesting thing, though, is that he knows that he is that best for us. 
And he's ready to crush whatever's coming between us and him. Anything that will harm us and harm our relationship with him. So if there is sin that we are choosing in our lives, he will be zealous and he will be jealous until we choose to give him the right of way to smash the sin and the idols of our heart. He is the friend who knows what we can be. And he breathes into that. He made you. He knows what he designed you for and what you're capable of. And he wants you to be fully alive. And we are fully alive when we are in vibrant relationship with him. He has also got our back. He'll protect us like no other friend. In fact, he laid down his life for you and me already. You know, I I know that in a room this size with the people here, there might be someone who served in the military and you had a friend who laid down your life, laid down his life for you. You, in In this room, there might be someone who had a family, someone in their family that donated, donated an organ and afterwards, they didn't, they didn't do so well after that, and they didn't make it. So I know that those things happen, that someone can lay down a life for another. But it's rare, isn't it? It's rare. But I want you to know that that most rare thing has already happened for every one of you in this room. There is someone who laid down his life for you as a friend. Jesus died so that you could live. But unlike the giving tree, Jesus rose up from death in great power. And he offers that power to you through a friendship. Resurrection life. And that is the Christian faith explained to us. That when we put our trust and faith in him, that Jesus Christ is not just a memory of somebody who lived and died resurrected and is far away in heaven. The Christian faith is the faith that says that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he dwells within his believers and empowers them to do things that they were not able to do before, to say things they were not able to say before, to be what they were not able to be before. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend you could have in Jesus. Nate and the guys, they're going to come up here and they're going to lead us in a song. And it's an older song, but it talks about this idea of Jesus being a friend. So it's an older song. It's done in an older way, but I think it's still a good thing to sing today. And it reminds us that this idea of friendship with Jesus is not something that Shannon McCready made up here today. It's not something that was made up in recent times because we're trying to be more relevant. This is the truth of the gospel. And so I I would just like to ask everyone here, though, I'd I'd like to ask a few questions. One, I'd like to ask, how many of you could use a friend like that? I mean, if, if, if Jesus' words are true and real, how many of you could use a friend like that? I could. I could use one more friend like that. Are there any of you that have ever felt alone and realize now that you don't have to be? I just want you to know that your friend Jesus is waiting. Are there any of you 
that maybe you knew of Jesus, but you didn't know that he wanted to be close to you through a trusting friendship, I just want you to know that your friend Jesus is waiting. And are there any of you that realize you've been going it alone when you could have had a friend closer than a brother with you? I just want you to know that your friend Jesus is waiting for you. And are there any of you who have been avoiding Jesus because like Adam and Eve, you thought you needed to hide, hide your sin, hide your twisting of good? Do you realize now that your friend Jesus, he already knows? He's already ready to accept you and can take away your sin and shame if you just confess? Say, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You are my Savior. You're not here to save just those people out there, those. You came to save me in my messed up life. So if that's the case, I'd like us to do something while we're singing here. And it will take a little courage. But what I'd like to do is just right now, as as Nate's kind of softly playing, um, if you're here and uh, you need... You need Jesus in your life right now. You need that friend right now. And you recognize that uh, it's what God came to do. Start a relationship with you. If, if that's the case and you haven't ever done that before, I, I just want to ask you to stand right now. And, uh, and the, some of the people around you, just to encourage and pray, pray for you.